You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. A science story, huh? It was that tall. golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hi everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week, we're bringing you two stories on the theme of syzygy, a word used to describe when celestial bodies are in alignment, such as during a solar eclipse. Our first story this week is from Bryony Tilsley. It was recorded in July 2016 at our show with the British Science Association at the Port Elliot Festival in Cornwall, United Kingdom. Hello, hi. Okay, so um, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, our journey setting up our organisation. We are a small organisation, we are in our early stages, but it's something that feels like it's growing and it's going in a very exciting direction. Um, the reason why we started this is because basically my husband's a nerd. Um, he claims that he isn't a nerd, but I'd just like to point out he's a chap over there with pie on his t-shirt. That's the number, not the food group. So yeah, <laughs> he's definitely a nerd. And it's a lot about um, how he's kind of dragged me into that slightly reluctantly. Um, one of his big loves is astronomy. So a few years ago, myself and his family decided to club together and buy him a telescope. And my very first outing with him onto Dartmoor with this telescope was in a dark, cold car park. I don't know if anybody here knows Dartmoor. There's um, a reservoir called Venford Reservoir. You drive past that, you go over a bridge first car park on the right hand side there we were him fiddling around trying to get this telescope set up me wrapped up in a pink thick coat going oh my god what have I done what have I unleashed um and he gets the telescope set up and we look at a couple of things and then he gets Jupiter in the in the viewfinder in the, and I have a look through this eyepiece and there's this planet and it's stripy and I can see specks of light around it which are the moons and I can see it moving out of view of this telescope. And I just have this sensation of being on a planet that's revolving. You don't get that. You, do, you don't feel the Earth spinning. You know that it is, but you don't feel it. And that's the first time in my life I've ever had this sensation of being on a planet that's actually revolving and feeling that you're some, part of something that's so much bigger. Um, so... Uh, this kind of nerdy journey starts to unfold and eventually we decide that the thing to do is to go up to Kilda where there's an observatory. It's beautiful. It's in a dark sky park. It's, it's a really different... I mean, we're really lucky on Dartmoor, but in Kilda, it's, um, it's, you can see so much more in the sky. And this observatory is wonderful. They've got this amazing facility and their energy and that their generosity with it is fantastic. And we book in for loads of events. The thing I really like about this is that we went and we stayed in a converted church and I kind of felt there was like this kind of nice little parallel between being in a church and then like doing nerdy science stuff in the evening. Um, and it's a long drive back from Kielder down to Devon. It's a 10 hour journey. And on the way back on that journey, I'm sort of talking to her. I'm going, well, you know, why aren't you, you know, why don't you go to stuff like this in Devon? There's nowhere on Dartmoor 
that does astronomy, which seems mad. It's this amazing dark sky. Why isn't anyone getting to enjoy it? And we kind of realised that actually what we've been doing with this telescope that we've got in our garage is on a very small scale what Kielder has been doing. We've got this telescope. We take it to friends and, we, and family. We set it up in their garden. We show them things in the sky and they love it. And we sort of think, well, why don't we do something for the public? So in this 10-hour journey, we start to plan what we're going to do. We decide we're going to do an event about Saturn and we start kind of thinking about the things that we need to do. So we get home and we start booking a venue and we start building a website and we kind of do all that social media thing and we start telling people what we're going to do and the, the response is really amazing people are really interested they want to go we start selling tickets and it kind of feels like this thing's beginning to unfold um and it's kind of weird because Rob and I both come from an arts background and actually it's quite tricky getting into the arts it constantly feels like you're having to fight against things whereas this is just like people love it they just want to be there so we've been organizing things for a few weeks we're actually back with our family visiting them in West Sussex and I've got this glass of wine in my hand and this little thought pops into my head it's like Bryony when was your last period I'm like oh god when was my last period and I kind of put this glass down I'm like oh so later on in the evening Rob and I are like in his dad's office on a sofa bed and we're like it's like really exciting and also very very scary we get home I take a pregnancy test it's positive and we're like oh my god what are we gonna do we're gonna be parents this is terrifying why should we be responsible for a child um this can't end well um so we carry on organizing our event and uh, the only real difference is that now I'm napping like a pro and really watching what I'm eating. I'm doing lots of research on the internet at the same time going, right, don't eat too much tuna and don't do this and don't do that. We're taking it very seriously. Um, it gets to two days before our event and this pain crosses across my belly. And I'm like, mm, this isn't good. If we go to hospital, have a scan, they confirm baby has not survived. It's like this big. And the first time I'm meeting it, I'm saying goodbye to it because it's tiny. And then there's lots of decisions you have to make and you don't have any control over those decisions really because the decision, the decision you want to make isn't an option. It's not on the table. You just want to say, please give me back my baby. And the other decision that we have to make is whether we carry on with the event that we planned. And Rob says to me, well, it's down to you. If you want to do it, we'll go ahead. And I don't know, maybe there's just like stubborn streak in me, but I'm like, no, we're going to do this. I think partly because I need something to distract me, but also because I don't like letting people down. It just seemed really daft that we planned this thing and suddenly we just wouldn't do it. And we had friends coming down. So we're like, no, we're going to go ahead. We're going to do this. It's not easy. I'm munching down painkillers and we're both feeling really heartbroken. And actually what we really want to do is just kind of get into bed and fling a duvet over our heads and go, no, actually, we don't want to do that. But we do it, we do the event, and on the day I'm baking cakes and welcoming friends, and we get there, we set everything up, and it goes really well. People love it. They, you know, we show them Saturn, we show them Jupiter, we show them amazing nebulae and galaxies, and they love it. We have this amazing, warm response to it. And then right at the very end, the telescope is the very the first one that we brought Rob is set up, and I have a look through it, and it's actually set on Jupiter. And there it is, being beautiful and amazing as Jupiter is. And I just see it move out of view. And I just have this sensation that I'm anchored and it's fine. The, I have physical scientific evidence that the world is still spinning. And if the world is still spinning, I can definitely carry on. And that's totally fine too. Um, one of the things that I find really interesting about astronomy is I feel like it has a real therapeutic quality. And I think that's something that personally I've experienced. And I know that Rob has experienced too. If you had a stressful day 
and you're feeling really like, if you look through the telescope and look at something that's millions of miles away, he kind of puts everything into perspective in this really beautiful way. And I think that's what happened to me on that day. When I looked through that telescope and I saw Jupiter and I saw it moving out of view, I was like, okay, that's fine. The other thing that I've learned from astronomy is actually really amazing things can come out of total chaos. Our solar system came out of chaos and it's amazing and it's beautiful. And we had a moment of chaos, something collapsed. This huge kind of cloud of chaos came into our lives. Sometimes you don't have much control over what you build out of it, but you can build something else and it can be amazing. What we've been building over the last year isn't necessarily what we were expecting to build, but we're still really proud of it and we feel like there's a long way to go. Um, It's kind of this idea of legacy. We've got that really amazing options that we can go we want to turn Dartmoor into a dark sky park you want an observatory on Dartmoor whether we would be here if we had had our baby I don't know I think we'd be on a very different path Um, but nonetheless this is the path that we're walking this is the world that we're building and we have to enjoy it and appreciate it even if it isn't quite what we were expecting. That was Bryony Tilsley. Bryony, along with her husband Rob, is a founder of Dartmoor Skies, a UK charity that shares the beauty of astronomy with anyone who wants to experience it. She studied writing and choreography at Dartington College of Arts, so she loves to bring art and science together. She finds stargazing therapeutic and would like to build an observatory on Dartmoor. She has lots of books, two cats, and a dog. Our second story today is from David Barron. It was recorded in February 2017 at Oberon in Cambridge, Massachusetts. The theme was Light and Dark. Back in the 1990s, I was a science correspondent for NPR. And in the course of working on a story, I got some advice from an astronomer that truly changed my life. Now, the story was about an eclipse, a partial solar eclipse that was going to cross the United States. And the astronomer, Jay Pasikoff from Williams College, uh, told me about the eclipse, how to observe it, um, and what made it interesting. But then he pointed out that, you know, a partial solar eclipse is nothing compared with a total solar eclipse, which is a completely different experience. And as he described it, a total solar eclipse is the most awe-inspiring sight in all of nature. And so the advice he gave me was this. He said, before you die, you owe it to yourself to experience a total solar eclipse. Well, that was pretty bold language, and I took it seriously. Uh, The thing about total eclipses is is if you wait for one to come to you, you're going to be waiting a very long time. Any given point on Earth will experience a total eclipse about once every 400 years. But if you're willing to travel, you don't have to wait quite that long. So I did some research, and I discovered that a few years later, in 1998, a total eclipse was going to cross the Caribbean. And a total eclipse is only visible within a narrow band about 100 miles wide called the path of totality. And that's the the zone that the moon's shadow races along across the Earth. And the path of totality in February of 1998 was going to cross Aruba. 
So I talked to my husband, and we thought, well, Aruba is a, not a bad place to be in February anyway. So we made plans to go enjoy the sun and see what happened during that brief time when the sun went away. Well, February 26 found us uh, on the beach behind the Hyatt Regency waiting for the show to begin. And there were lots of folks out there, people with telescopes and binoculars who really knew what they were doing. We had our little uh, cardboard eclipse glasses uh, with really dark lenses that enable you to actually look at the sun safely, because obviously without protection you'll ruin your eyesight. And uh, we were waiting for the show to begin, and a, a total solar eclipse begins as a partial eclipse, as the, the moon very slowly makes its way in front of the sun. So we were watching with our eclipse glasses, and you could first see just this little notch in the edge of the sun, and then the notch grew larger and larger, and after maybe a half hour, um, now the sun looked sort of like a crescent moon, like a thick crescent moon, and it was all kind of interesting, but... Nothing particularly spectacular. The day was still bright. If no one had told us what was going on, we wouldn't have noticed anything. Well, about 10 minutes before the onset of the total eclipse, things started to get weird. Um, so first, just the, the, the quality of the daylight seemed different. Colors seemed different. Um, a, a, a cool breeze started to blow on this tropical island. And the shadows were different. The shadows had gotten really sharp, and it was as if... Someone had turned up the contrast knob on television, and we looked under the, the palm trees, and where the sunlight was dappling the ground, instead of little spots of light, there were crescents, because the spaces between the leaves were acting like pinhole cameras and projecting onto the sand the image of the crescent sun. And then I looked over the water, and I could see offshore the running lights on boats. So clearly it was getting dark. I hadn't realized how dark it was getting. And then very soon, it really was getting dark. And it was almost like my eyesight was going. And then all of a sudden, the lights went out. Well, at this, the, the beach just erupted with cheers. And we took off our eclipse glasses because at this moment, and only at this time, during the total phase of a total eclipse, it is safe to look at the sun with the naked eye. And we looked up, and I was just completely dumbstruck. Um, you see, at this time, I was in my mid-30s, and I'd been living on Earth long enough to know what the sky looks like. I'd seen blue skies, and I'd seen gray skies, and I'd seen starry skies and angry skies, and I'd seen pink skies at sunrise. But this, this was a sky I had never seen. Uh, first, there were the colors. So overhead, it was a deep purple gray, like twilight. But on the horizon, it was orange. It was like sunset, 360 degrees. And overhead, in the twilight, uh, bright stars and planets had come out. So, so there was Venus, and there was Mercury, and there was Jupiter, and they were all in a line. And, and along that line was this thing, this just glorious, bewildering thing. It was, it was this like wreath woven of silvery thread, and it was shimmering out there in space. <laughs> and uh, this is the sun's outer atmosphere, the solar corona. And pictures just don't do it justice, because it's not just a halo around the sun or, or a ring. It is this 
textured, frilly object. It's like it's made of, of uh, strands of silk. And it looked nothing like the sun. But I knew that this was our sun. So I could see the sun, and I could see the planets, and I could see how the planets revolve around the sun. And it was as if I had stepped outside of the solar system and I was looking back at creation. And it's like it all made sense all of a sudden. And, and I was looking up, and then I'd look over at my husband, Paul, like, can you believe what we're looking at? It was just the most moving spiritual experience. And uh, it, for the first time in my life, I felt truly, utterly connected to the universe. Like there was nothing between me and everything else. And I think this is what they call nirvana. Well, uh, I was in this state for 174 seconds, under three minutes. And then all of a sudden, it was over. The sun came back out, the blue sky returned, the corona and the planets were gone. We had to put our eclipse glasses on. And it was as if I had briefly stepped through the back of the wardrobe into this fantasy world, and now I had just been yanked back to reality. And I was, I was hooked. I wanted to experience it again. Well, uh, the next year, a total eclipse was going to cross Europe. So I made plans to go to Munich um, but convinced my aunt and uncle to meet me there. And again, for three minutes, I got to enjoy this bliss in the shadow of the moon. But unfortunately, total eclipses uh, often travel to very inconvenient places. The, <laughs> the middle of the ocean, Antarctica, Africa. And I had other priorities. Um, eclipse chasing is uh, expensive, too. So I decided that I would set this aside and focus on more practical uh, priorities. So that was my decision for about 10 years, uh, until I reached my mid-40s. Uh, now to explain, when I was in college, my mother died. Uh, she was 48 years old. Uh, she died of breast cancer. And I knew that that was young. That was young. But when I was in my early 20s, I didn't understand really just how young that was. Uh, but now, as I was in my mid-40s and approaching the oldest age my mother ever attained, uh, I, I, it was difficult for me in many ways. I, I felt guilty that it looked like I was going to live longer than she did. And I grieved for her all over again. I just felt her loss. And I really understood how much of life she was denied. And it made me reflect on my own life. What is important to me? How do I want to spend my time? I hope that I get to live a nice long life, but that's not guaranteed. And even if I do, how do I want to spend those days that I have? And I reflected back on my life, and I kept coming back to those three minutes in Aruba. That that was one of the most meaningful experiences I'd ever had. And I decided that as long as I'm still on Earth, I'm going to go chase eclipses. And, um, you know, I'm whatever it takes, I'm going to go to where the moon's shadow is. Even if no one comes with me, I am going. And so I did. Uh, in 2012, I headed off to Australia. 
In 2015, I was in the Faroe Islands in the North Atlantic. And it was still exciting, but it didn't quite feel the same. And then it really struck me hardest last March when I was in Indonesia. So once again, I was on a beach watching as the, the sun went away and the corona came out. And at the end of it, when the t total eclipse was over, instead of having that sense I had of that deep connection, I just felt utterly and deeply alone because here I was in Indonesia and everyone I loved was on the other side of the planet. And I came to realize that a big part of what made that experience in Aruba so special, it wasn't just what I was witnessing overhead, it was who I was with here on Earth. Which brings me to 2017. Uh, and this, this is the year I've been waiting for since that time in Aruba. Because this August, for the first time in 38 years, a total solar eclipse will cross the continental United States. The path of totality goes from Oregon to South Carolina. And it crosses Wyoming, which is just north of where I live in Colorado. And so I've got my plans all worked out. On August 21st, I will be in the Tetons at 10,000 feet uh, on a mountaintop, looking west toward Idaho to try to glimpse the moon's shadow as it races in. And I will be up there with my husband and my father and my stepmother and my brothers and their families and my aunt and uncle and cousins. And we're going to look as uh, this great shaft of darkness comes down from outer space and races toward us at 1,600 miles an hour. And a cool wind will kick up and the stars and the planets will appear and then the lights will go out and together we'll take off our eclipse glasses and we'll all look up. Thank you. That was David Barron. David is a science journalist, broadcaster, and the author of American Eclipse, a nation's epic race to catch the shadow of the moon and win the glory of the world. An avid eclipse chaser, David has witnessed five total solar eclipses in such disparate locales as Indonesia, Australia, and the Faroe Islands. He spent most of his career in public radio as a science correspondent for NPR, science reporter for Boston's WBUR, and science editor for PRI's The World. You can find him online at www.american-eclipse.com. If you enjoyed today's stories, check out our upcoming show at the St. Louis Storytelling Festival on May 2nd, which will feature five stories on the theme of eclipse. St. Louis, coincidentally, will also be a great place to view this year's upcoming solar eclipse on Monday, August 21st. The Story Collider is grateful for the support of the Tiffany & Company Foundation and of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. The Story Collider is produced by me, Liz Neely, Aaron Barker, Ari Daniel, Christine Gentry, Shane Hanlon, Rosie Waldron, Cassie Soliday, and Nissa Greenberg, with help from Farah Ahmad, Eli Chen, and Skylar Bear. The podcast is produced by Zoe Saunders, and the theme music is by Ghost. 
Special thanks to the Port Elliott Festival and the Oberon for hosting these shows, and to my grade school teacher for teaching me how to build one of those little boxes that you can use to look at eclipses. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>